turn to our scripture. I've titled this today, Giving Thanks. Everybody say, Giving Thanks. We're going to start with Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Reading of the word. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. No matter what you're doing, whether in word, what you're talking about, or in what you're doing in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus, I pray that over the next couple moments as I share your truths out of your holy scriptures, not my truths, your truths, that, Lord God, that supernaturally you would begin to awaken us, awaken our church, awaken our friends, awaken those that we've been reaching out to with the truth, the truth that you are great even in difficulty, that you are to be praised and thanked and adored no matter what we're going through in life. And, Lord, in that lack of gratitude, in that selfishness that we seem to be living in, that, Lord God, we are only propagating more pain. So I pray that we, as Hill City, would be men and women of gratitude, always giving thanks in every word and deed to our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for today's teaching, and may it change our life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You know, I was thinking about this. Why do people never say thank you? Why, why, why do you never get people that are gra- grateful anymore? It's, it's like something has shifted over the last 40, 50 years, especially here in this country. I think, number one, one of my, my thoughts, I think it's because we stopped rearing our children to be grateful. I really think we've stopped, I think we've stopped teaching them to say thank you. I remember sitting in, in a restaurant not so long ago when my children were a little bit younger and uh, the, the last one coming up, you know, she's had everything she could ever want. The older ones are always fussing that she didn't ever get whipped or anything and I blamed her mama on that. Anyway, but um, and, and we were sitting in a restaurant and I'll never forget we were talking. We had, we had another family with us and she was sitting at the end of the table, you know, probably, I don't know, you, you know, eight or so and, uh, and the little waitress came over and you could tell this poor little gal, she probably single mom working two jobs to finance her little family and doing all she can. And she walked over to the table and, uh, and I was at this end. I could see my kids down at that end of the table. And she started talking to them, asking them what they wanted. And that little one never looked up from her iPhone. And, uh, and so I waited for the waitress and never said hello, never said, yes, ma'am, thank you. I would like a glass of water, nothing like, never even gave her. I, and I grabbed her by, I walked down there and I grabbed her by the ear and I walked her to the back of the restaurant. And she's losing her mind. And I looked her in her face and I said, if you ever disrespect a person like that again, I tell you, I will whoop, I will go to, I will, mm, I will start a prison ministry. <laughs> because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to raise a bunch of little hellions who are not grateful for all the people who are around them who are kind. And not, we're not going to live like that. Do you understand? Yeah, he's bad. I said, all right, so I'm going to be watching. So she put her back down at the end of the table. That little lady came and said, here's your wife. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I, because I realized then and there, you think about all the little PKs and MKs and all the little entitled people that you've known, something about them because no one ever told them they needed to show gratitude. They never said, thank you. You should teach your children to say thank you. You put a roof over their house, uh, over their head. You give them, you give them nice uh, clothes to wear. You put food on the table. They ought to look you in the face every day and say, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for, you may not be the perfect parent or the perfect grandparent or the 
the perfect blended family, but doggone it, you're giving everything you can for your children, and they better be grateful. Are you with me? Say yes. So I think sometimes that's just what happened. We just never taught them. I think also it's because a lot of people are just self-absorbed. That's why they never say thank you. They never show gratitude because they're just about themselves. And so I will do that to people. I will literally say, I'll hold the door for people, and they'll, they'll be on their cell phone, and I'm just holding the door. I'm not, I, I don't work at that restaurant. This ain't, I don't work at Walmart, but I'll hold the door for them just because I was raised right. And as I'm holding the door, I'll always get somebody who just walk right on past me. I say, you're welcome. I do it all the time. My wife is like, oh my God, stop it. I'm like, no, I'm going to teach people to be grateful. And she, and I'll never get this woman went, I'm so sorry. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> we just get so self-absorbed. I do it. You do it. Our children do it. We got to break that cycle. Are you with me? Say yes. And so I'm going to give you just a little bit out of the word of God. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 17. We're going to study two major passages in scripture about giving thanks or being thankful or being grateful. We'll look at this first beautiful passage with Jesus and these 10 men with leprosy. Have you found it yet? Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 12 through 19. I'll read it. It says, and as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him and they stood at a distance. Now I've taught you this before, but maybe you're new to us. Leprosy, whatever you think COVID or, uh, you know, uh, COVID-19 was and how, you know, dangerous it was to kill people. Take that and multiply that times a hundred. That's about what leprosy was. Leprosy was so contagious. They didn't even, they didn't have control over it. They didn't know why people would break out with it. But in the moment you got it, it wasn't like COVID. I think COVID has what, like a 95%, uh, uh, you know, um, or 98% something survival rate on it. You know, we, and we're real panicky about, cause we've all lost precious people. But in reference to taking that and applying it to what was leprosy like, leprosy had a 100% death rate to it. I mean, if you got leprosy, you're dead. You're a dead man or woman walking. And as most of you have heard me teach before, it started with the extremities and you would begin, your fingers would begin to rot off, your flesh off your nose, your ears would begin to rot off, the smell, the stench, and it didn't, it, it had no respecters of person. It didn't matter rich, poor, uh, famous, you know, infamous, not known at all. Anyone who got leprosy, they were then taken and they were, you think our little six foot rule and our little mask rule, you know, is, is helping and say, they, you couldn't even come in the city. You couldn't walk past anybody. If you had leprosy, you had to stand across the, the highway or across the street and yell out, you're unclean, unclean, so that no one would get close to you. And the Bible says as Jesus was coming into a village, there stood these 10 men, and they yelled out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. He doesn't say you were healed. He doesn't go and lay hands on them. Very interesting way that Jesus handled this. Now, in, in Levitical law, if you had leprosy and by some chance God did a miracle and, quote, healed you because, again, they had no, they had no remedy for it. There was no, there was no solution for it as far as medically that they had come up with. But by some chance God had healed you. They had in Levitical law that what you would then do is you would have to go to the priest and the priest would then inspect you. And if the priest deems you, uh, you know, healed, then you could go back to your life. I want you to think about this. If you're a wealthy businesswoman, I mean, you've got all kinds of people working for you and you get leprosy. One day you're wealthy and you have servants and you got all these people working for you. And the next day you are living out in a commune out in the woods somewhere, hoping that someone drops off some food. 
And so you lose everything, your home, your children, your relationship with your family. You are immediately kicked out of community living, and you're not allowed. And so these lepers would find each other. They would have these leper colonies. They would have these areas, and, and people would come and drop food off and then run away and allow them to kind of, you know, kind of have something to eat here and there. It, you know, they were considered, you know, uh, in a death march. I mean, they're going to die at some point, and so they just did their best to stay away from everyone, and everything they had was taken from from them in that moment, moment that they were identified as being lepers. And so in Levitical law, what they would do is they would then, if they got healed some kind of supernatural way, uh, they would then, to prove that, would go and, and look and meet with the priest, and the priest would inspect them, and if he deemed them healed, then they were able to be brought back into community. So Jesus says to him, he says, go and show yourselves to the priest. As they went, read it with me, they were cleansed, which is a whole nother teaching. Whole other teaching connected with when God tells you to do something, just do it. You may not see the ramifications in that first moment, but as you go in faith, supernatural things happen. So it was, they didn't get healed the moment he said, go show yourself to the priest. <laughs> Whoa! No, as they were walking, oh, yeah, I guess we're going to do what he said. Let's go do it. As they were going, all of a sudden, their flesh became healed. They're outside. Every part of them became healed. I, I'm, I'm, I'm imagine fingers grew back. Noses grew back. Their skin, everything became healed. As they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, one of them, everybody say, everybody say one. one. One, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, and what did he do? Thanked him. Everybody say, thanked him. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. He said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you so much, God. Now, keep reading. It says, and as he, as he was a Samaritan, the Bible makes this point very specific. The, the understanding is the rest of them were Jews, and this guy was a Samaritan. And I've explained this to you before, but you think we've had difficulty with racial difficulty in the United States between black, white, Hispanic, Asian. You think we've had some racial difficulty. These people lived in full-on hatred of each other, Samaritans and Jews. And it was all over who is better in God's eyes. All over that. Uh, all over ancestry and who is actually God's people, who's not God's people. And the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And friend, at the end of the day, just like every one of us, we all come from the same lineage. At the end of the day, I don't know what you think, but we all come from Noah, just so you know. Just get, get over it. <laughs> and so these guys have this racial tension. But oh, when we're in pain and we're in suffering, it's amazing how much the racial tension will just go out and we just embrace each other in the pain and the difficulty of life. And so these guys have embraced each other, Jew and Samaritan. As they go towards the priest, they get healed. And the Samaritan is the only one who turns around, comes running back, running back, falls at Jesus' feet and begins to thank him. Now, when, I, when I've read this over the years, I used to be so critical of the other nine. So critical. Like, what kind of loser would get healed and not go back? But if you think about it and put it in our everyday life, these other nine, have lost, they've not seen their wife in years. Their wife may be about to get remarried. They've not kissed their babies. They've lost their businesses. They've not taken a bath in a nice hot tub. They've not eaten food that, that was prepared for them themselves. They've only had people's handouts. Come on, you with me? 
They've been that homeless person. They've been that person under the bridge that everyone looks down at when they walk past them. They have lost, if you will, their dignity. And in a moment, they're about to get their dignity back. I bet the only thing they could think about was getting home and hugging their little babies. I bet the only thing they were thinking about was how do I go and find where I used to live and will my, has my wife waited for me or has she remarried? I bet everything, every dream that they had been dreaming year after year of what might could happen if a miracle ever happened to them, now all of a sudden is in, within reach and they're not, they're not pausing or stopping for a moment except for this one Samaritan. And Jesus points it out and he says, verse 17, were not all 10 cleansed? Where, all, where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God? Another translation says, and thank God. No one else would come back and thank God but except this foreigner. And Jesus, what he's doing is he's humiliating the prejudiceness because everyone standing around him in this moment as this supernatural thing has happened, they're all Jews. And they're already judging this Samaritan for throwing himself at Jesus' feet. And they're standing there already critical. And Jesus says, where's the other nine? Where's all the Jewish people who got healed just now? Only one to come back is this foreigner, if you will. He's using their language and their criticism against them to break something off of their hearts, their un ungratefulness, their, their lack of gratitude for what God has already done. The fact that you don't, have never had leprosy, that this guy is praising and throwing himself at the feet of Jesus in thankfulness. In verse 19, then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Why would he tell him, rise and go, your faith has made you well, if he was already healed? He's already cleansed. I believe, in my opinion, I believe this last statement is in reference to the fact that he had already healed him on the outside. But when he came and threw himself down in thankfulness, and he began to thank the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that that expression of faith began to heal him also on the inside. Because, see, we're two parts. Where there's that outside that everybody sees, and that's that inside that nobody sees. How much loneliness and abandonment had this man been living with? How much rejection? What was his, what was his attitude about himself when he looked in the mirror and he had half his face peeled off because of this dumb disease? when he had men spit on him because he got too close to him because as he rounded a corner, there was somebody sitting there. He didn't see him, and they began to curse him and spit on him. When he's been treated like the dogs uh, 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 that have been thrown out of the city, uh, men living up under a bridge, and these other men and women are treating him like he's worthless, that brokenness on the inside of who he was, who his identity was, I believe, in the moment of praise and thankfulness. Thank you, God. In that moment that God didn't just heal his outside, but I think in that moment he healed his inside. Are you with me today? Say yes. See, the reason why many people can't say thank you because something's broken on the inside. The reason why people can't say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. I praise you, oh God. I thank you for saving me and transforming my life. The reason why people can't do that because we're so self-absorbed about the pain and the difficulty because we've grown up with nothing but pain and difficulty and we don't know how to thank him for what he's already done, what he's kept us from that we don't even realize. You and I must come back to the place that we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I will worship you. I will be grateful for all that I have and all that I am. And what I don't have, it don't matter because you are good. Are you with me today? Say yes. There's something about someone who's grateful. Last year, I have, I have this piece of rental property. I got a couple single guys that live in it. And, and uh, it might be two years now. It's all a blur, 2020, 2021. And uh, one of the young men that was living there, he had, he had had this little used Honda Civic, I think it was. And, and it was just, you know, it was at that stage, you know, 
you know, almost 200,000 miles on it and everything's falling apart. And, and so uh, it finally kind of just broke down in the front driveway of, uh, of, of my, my rental house that they lived in. And, and so he went and just, you know, he had, by that point he'd gotten a, a better job and so he's able to go get him a nicer little car. And uh, so that car sat out in front of my house for months. And so being the good landlord that I was, I was like, hey, bro, you got to get that junk out in front of my house. I mean, we ain't trailer trash around here no more. I mean, that was our past, okay? You got to get that gone. And, uh, and he's like, okay, Pastor, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get it done. He never would get it done. And finally, I was just kind of praying about it. I was kind of frustrated. I heard the Lord say, won't you go buy it from me? I'm like, what am I doing? I don't need no beat-up Honda Civic. Both my cars are running. And, uh, and, and, and I heard the Lord say, go get it. So I, I called him up. I said, hey, listen, since you ain't seem to get rid of this thing, why don't you just sell it to me? He's like, oh, okay, Pastor Adam. So he sold it to me for a few hundred dollars. I, I don't know, $300, $400. It was, it was, I don't even think that they would have given me that, you know, at the junkyard. And so, and so I, I, I brought it to my house and like, now what am I going to do with it? And so I'm just that person. I started fiddling around with it and, and realized, okay, I can replace this. And so I started doing all the work myself. And I'm about 50, 60 hours into fixing this old beat up car. And it, it hits me. Don't you have something better to do with your life than fix up a car that you don't need? And I'm like, yeah, this is worthless. What am I doing? And then one of the things I couldn't fix, so I had to take it to a mechanic, and they fixed it. You know, I'm replacing motors in, in, the, in the electric windows because the window was all duct taped up so it wouldn't fall down. Anybody had that car before? Yeah, and, uh, and, and you know, I was able to play, replace the thermostat myself and things like that. But there was a couple other things I couldn't do, and so I brought it to a mechanic. That cost me. I mean, I had more money in the car by the end of this whole thing, I'm about, you know, like I said, I'm 50, 60 hours into it over in my days off and my extra time when I get off from work kind of thing. I've been putting all this effort into it. And all of a sudden I got this car fixed up and I'm looking at it in my driveway and it's ugly and I don't know why I have it. Within days, I'm not lying. You guys know I've been helping Christ for the Nations a little bit. And so I'm sitting, I'm there a couple days a week and I'm sitting in, in the office there at Christ for the Nations. And one of these guys who oversees one of the departments, he's an international gentleman who's moved here and he went through school and, and now he works at, at Christ for the Nations. He came and sat with me. He said, Pastor, I'm, I just, I really believe in you and trust your prayers that God hear, heals them, uh, hears them. He goes, would you pray for me? I said, sure, what's going on? He goes, well, I've gotten a scholarship to Dallas Baptist um, he goes, and it's, uh, it's a miracle. I mean, I can't believe, he, I think he's from, he's either, he's one of the South American countries, El Salvador somewhere. He goes, and, uh, and he goes, and honestly, I don't have a way to get there. He goes, and I don't, I don't want to lose the scholarship, but I can't make the evening classes, you know, because I work here and they make, I don't have it. And he goes, not only that, can I just be honest with you as a man, he's man's in his late twenties, mid or early thirties. He goes, as a man, he says, I can't even take a girl out because I don't have a car and just, you know, it just makes me feel like a failure, and I don't. So would you just believe God with me? And I said, just, you need a car? <laughs> he said, yeah. I was like, uh, come ride with me somewhere. He's like, uh, okay, I guess I can. You're the boss. I can leave for the day, right? I was like, just get in the car. And I drive him over to my house, and I, and I said, uh, what do you think about this car? And he goes, what do you mean? I was like, pulled out the keys. I was like, would you like to have it? And he was like, what? You, you would give this to me? I was like, it's yours. You can drive it back right now. I said, now, you got to get the title transfer. I ain't paying for all that. That's your problem. I said, but yeah, I'd like to give it to you. And he goes, thank you. Thank you. And he just, the look in his eyes. And then he embraced me. He just held on to me. And you could feel that this man 
didn't have a way to have this solution in his life, and God used me. I didn't need the little car. The little extra money that I put into it didn't break my bank, and, and that little car has been sitting there rotting away at, at my rental house, and so now all of a sudden, this guy's got a car, and I'm going to tell you, for the next five or six days, I didn't get, I, I, I must have got a text message every other hour. I got, I came into my office, you know, a couple days later, and there's a little gift on it, a little chocolate or something that he bought at the dollar store. That's all the money he's got. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been a year or two now, and he'll come up to me, if it wasn't for you, thank you so much. I'm thinking, I will give that kid a kidney. If he gets in trouble, I'll give him anything. Because of what? Because of a thankful attitude. Jesus looks at this Samaritan and says, buddy, so grateful. And that whole process has made you well. Not just healed your outside, but made you well. What if our bad attitude and our lack of gratefulness is actually causing us to be sick and broken? What if we're propagating the thing that we can't stand because we never know our coworkers The other brothers and sisters in Christ never see us be grateful. I'm telling you, we cannot skip this holiday. Presidents put this holiday in place, especially Abraham Lincoln. He really pushed forward Thanksgiving because we came out of the Civil War, a nation that was divided against itself. And though, though, you know, the North had won and started the process to destroy slavery in the United States, there was still this brokenness in our hearts towards each other. And so he demanded that we, Abraham Lincoln demanded that we would have a day that we said, God, we thank you. We thank you. Because do you understand in the midst of that civil war, what was happening around the nations and what we were fearful of? We were fearful that England would try to come back in and take us over while we were spatting with each other or France or another country. And so Abraham Lincoln understood that if we get in a civil war, we may actually lose our nation and we may go back into a place where another country is able to come and take us over and control us. And so to declare, God, we're so grateful that you protected us and saved us, not only from ourselves and our brokenness, but from the nations that would want to try to control us and take us back over. We have to be men and women of thankfulness. At the same time, there's this moment in Scripture where the Israelites show their ungratefulness. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers chapter 21, (coughs) excuse me, the children of Israel have been, they've been, uh, you know, everybody, uh, scholars argue about exactly how many years, but, but most agree over 400 years, the children of Israel have been slaves. The Jewish people have been slaves to the Egyptians. Uh, many people say that's how they built the, you know, the, the Sphinx and, the, you know, the pyramids and all that because, you know, they use all the slave labor. And so they didn't care who, who died in the process because they were their slaves. So these are the Jewish people being their slaves. And, of course, you guys know the whole story with Moses and God using Moses and, and, and getting Pharaoh to let the people go. And so here's scholars believe somewhere between 1 million and 2 million. So Dallas, uh, city, Dallas city proper is about 1.2 million. Um, the Metroplex is almost 7 million, but Dallas proper, city of Dallas, is like 1.2, 1.3 million. So God delivers them. Pharaoh lets them go. Now you've got over a million people tromping out in the middle of the desert. So I want you to picture Dallas just starts tromping. They got nothing. No technology, nothing. No, no crops. They just start tromping down through West Texas out in the middle of those fields. And they're camping out. And they've got, they've, yeah, they've gotten jewelry and stuff because they basically the Egyptians like just gave them money and stuff to leave. But they have no produce. They have no way to take care of themselves. They have no systemization to feed a million point two, million point three people. I want you to put it in modern times. They're out in this wilderness and they're playing. And they begin
I mean, think about it. If you've got the one cow, everybody's looking at your cow like, mm, hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> like, get away from my cow. And so here these guys are, and they're complaining, and God says, you know what? I'm going to do something special for you. And he begins to give them manna, manna from heaven. They would wake up every morning, and there would just be food that had just, uh, they, they said, I think the way the Bible describes it is like the dew on the ground early in the morning would be this amazing heaven magic food that would just show up. And he told them, you can only pick and pick up and, and, and to eat that which is today's worth. You can't store it up. And if they tried to store it up for a couple days so that they could sell it, so that they could, you know, barter with it, it would rot within the 24 hours. It'd be nasty and terrible. And so that he, every day from his, from his hand to their mouth, every day from his hand to their mouth, he would provide for them. When we pick up in chapter 21, they begin to get ungrateful again. It says, and they travel from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient. They're on their way to their promised land, but they grow impatient on the way. Most of your criticism and your lack of gratefulness is the result of your impatience, by the way, and just trusting God. That's why Miss Jamie quoted that passage, which was from the Lord. Verse 5, and they spoke against God and against Moses. How often are we speaking up against God and, and against the leadership that he's put in our life? Just simply because we're impatient, we're frustrated. Why is this not happening in the time? And it says, and they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. <laughs> and look how, look how manipulative they are. Look how generalization. There's no bread. There's no water. I mean, we got something, but it's just miserable. There's just nothing to eat. There's really nothing to eat. Have you ever noticed that when people are critical, they always use generalizations? Everybody hates it. Nobody wants a turkey for Thanksgiving. Everybody wants ham this year because you're the one bringing the tur turkey, you know? Everybody. What I've learned to do is say, well, who all is the Everybody. No, everybody, Pastor. Okay, who are they? N name them for me. Name them for me. Which is nobody likes it. Nobody likes that Hill City's doing that. Uh, who, who's the nobody? Just tell me who they are. Give me, give me a list of their names so I can go talk to them. Well, you know, Bill. Okay, your cousin. All right, I get it. Y'all been sitting around gossiping. And, uh, and his wife, Susan. Okay, great. Who else? Well, I mean, I just, everybody. So you can only come up with two people. A church this size, that's all you can come up with is two people. The problem's not with everybody, the problem's with you. You become frustrated, and that frustrating, frustrations cause you to be ungrateful. So they start saying, there's no, nothing, no food, no water. Well, how are you alive if there's no food and water? And then they make a mistake of talking bad about God's miracle food. I don't know about you, but in my house, if my mama been cooking all day long, and I'm sitting at the dinner table, and I don't like it. I don't know how it would work at your house, but I was way too smart to run my mouth that that was gross food. This is how I was, oh, it's the best, it's the greatest. And so they begin to run their mouth against what the supernatural thing that God has been providing for them. And I'm telling you, I, I ain't had no siblings, but I know if any of my siblings, if I'd have had siblings and they'd have complained about mama's food, I know what was coming. A whooping was coming. That's what was going to be coming. So just by way of reading this, you, you can stop right here and you go, ooh, a whooping's coming. You talking bad about what God's miracles are. Verse 6, it says, and the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. 
They bit the people, and many Israelites died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. We spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. See, ungratefulness is sin. Ungratefulness is sin. And when they wake up to their sinfulness, after God has to send snakes, snakes are biting them and killing them. They, in the middle of the night, because they just right outside of Egypt. Them jokers are biting them on their big toes. You can't go nowhere at night. These suckers are biting them. They're killing them. They are dying. And, and the Bible says that they cried out and said, please forgive us. So Moses prayed, verse 8, then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole, and then everyone was, who was bitten by a snake and looked at the pole, excuse me, looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Interesting. They asked God to take the snakes away. God said, I ain't taking the snakes away. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do what you need to be done. See, what God was doing is he was working slavery out of their mentality. There's two reasons that people... Two reasons that people have an ungrateful heart or an ungrateful attitude. Number one, because they have a slave mentality. That I've never had enough, so what I got is mine, I'm a victim. Or number two, I have had everything, and so everyone is below me, and no one has, I don't need to tell anybody thank you, because I've done this in my own strength, or my family, da-da-da-da-da. That's the two reasons. They've got a slave mentality inside of them, so it's never enough. There's never enough. It's never enough. He's got to work the slave mentality out of them because they're his sons and daughters. They are, they are, they are joint heirs with Christ. They are, they, are, they are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. They are in covenant relationship with the one true God, but they think that they're slaves, and so they got to get. they got to have more. they got to get more. they got to get more. They don't walk in the room knowing who I am. I am a son of the Most High God. I'm a daughter of the Most High God. And so a son or daughter who knows who they are can say, thank you so much. Oh, my goodness, thank you. Oh, wow, thank you. Because we know who we are. And so it doesn't belittle me to say thank you and, and be grateful for the fact that you helped me in my inability to help myself. This is the thing he's working out of them. So he doesn't send the, he doesn't make the snakes go away. He says, here's what I'm going to do. Moses, go, go, go fashion the image of a snake and put it up on a pole. And they put that in the middle of the camp. Now, I want, again, think about 1.3 million people and their little tents and their little, their little corral that they got a couple of sheep and some goats and their little cow. And he's going to put this pole in the middle, if you will, in the middle of the encampment. You live a quarter mile away. Because you think about that many people living. You might live half a mile. You might be two miles away. And you get bit by a snake. You got to run through the city, through the encampment. They don't really have a city. They're all living out in tents. And get to this pole so you can look up at it. Interesting how he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you a pole. You got to look up. Because I don't know about you, but when there are snakes around, I ain't looking up for nothing. I'm looking down like this. Are you with me? Anybody in here deadly afraid of snakes? I can't stand. Anybody like that? You, come on. Come here. I want to I talk to you about that. Come here. I need a little bit of interview action right here. Come on here, girlfriend. I need your thoughts. Yeah, come up right here. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You and I are on the same page with this stuff. Now, yeah. now yes, tell me yes. something. Now, do you like snakes? No. 
The only good snake is a dead snake. A dead. That's right. I don't care what they are. I don't care how. They, I don't care. They. Oh, that's a good one. He. No, no, ma'am. I don't do that. Why? When did you know you did? Wasn't gonna like snakes no more. When I. Well, I never saw a real one, mm. but just imagine. Mm. I'm just. I'm fearful. I'm, well, I, I mean, I'm just. And I wanted to test that, so I brought some snakes out. <laughs> no, no, I'm just. It's just like this thing. I love you. I love you. Don't go nowhere. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Will you I forgive your pastor? That's a fake me. one right there. I it's not real. Me. It's not real. It's a piece of plastic. I forgive All right, cool. I forgive now, that reaction right there. Now, I want you to think about you live in Israel, or you live with the Israelis. You're Israeli. And these snakes have bit you, your children, and you got to go and look up on a pole while they're still all over the ground. The kind of faith that that takes when you can't stand snakes. God was working out of them the fear of everything else to work in them the trust in him. Yes, yes. I want you to know something. I don't know what snakes are messing with your life, but you got to stop looking at the snakes and start looking at the solution. That's it. Amen. Thank you. I love Amen. You. I love you. Go ahead. That, that, it, they turned it off. It ain't going to get you. When you and I... When you and I recognize, wait a minute, I have not been very thankful or grateful to God for all that he's done. That awakening will cause you to do one of two things. You keep looking at all the snakes or to cause you to lift up your eyes for my Redeemer draweth nigh. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know what you've been through this last couple years, but I can tell you this. No matter how many times you've been bit, no matter how many times the enemy's come against you, no matter what he's tried to do to destroy you, lift up your eyes and say, thank you, Jesus, because I'm still standing. Thank you, Jesus, because, you know, I might not have a nice car, but I got a car. Lord God, I may not have it all figured out. I might not do it all right. I may sin and mess up, but I know that you love me, and I thank you for saving me and delivering me and making me your own. Are you with me today? Say yes. So let me give you, I want to give you a couple thoughts. Write these down real quick. couple thoughts. When you give thanks, let me tell you what it does. It'll help you guard against a couple of things. And I don't want these things in my life. You don't want them in your life. The first thing, that being a person who's constantly giving thanks, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I love you. I thank you, God. The reason as we give thanks, here's the first thing it's going to protect you against, and that is covetousness. Covetousness. The Bible calls that sin. It's listed in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet their neighbor's wife, their neighbor's, or thy neighbor's house, whatever. Thou shalt not covet these things. When you and I begin to start being grateful for what we got, we'll stop worrying about what everybody else has. You know what I'm saying? Listen, it, it, you say, you know, it's just my car. It ain't as nice as my neighbor's. And I, I go to work and I got a little parking spot, but there's all nice, all the people that work with me. I just got a raise and a bonus. I probably should have something like that, but I really can't afford it. When you start saying, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that mine's paid off. I thank you, Lord God, that it gets me where I need to go. And Lord God, I thank you, Lord God, that I even have a car. And I'm not so worried about what I don't have. I'm just so grateful for what I do have. When you and I begin to be grateful and start declaring our thank, give thanks. I give you thanks, oh God. I lay down at your feet and I can't believe that you healed me. I can't believe that you, that you set me free. And I thank him like the Samaritan leper as I begin to have that attitude the covetousness doesn't have a, a power over you anymore you stop looking at what your neighbor has and saying I don't have that and you say you know I'm just grateful what I do have I don't want all that I'm just grateful for what I do have here's the second thing it'll set you free from I got to move through these fast for sake of time and that is it'll deliver you from bitterness it'll deliver you from bitterness It'll protect you from it. Yeah, I'm so grateful, Lord God. I know, Lord God, that those people wounded me. What they did was wrong, but I'm grateful I'm still standing. 
I'm grateful, Lord God, that I didn't act upon what I wanted to do two years ago when they did that to me. That you stayed my hand. Recently, I was in a situation where I was really, really upset about something. I was going to do something, and I had the wherewithal to ask one of our leaders, what is your counsel on that? And they said, Pastor, I don't think you should do that. I'm like, no, let me convince you on how, why I need to do this. Because I'm a great, you know, person of convincing powers and skills. And so they listened to me for about 30 minutes, and then they said, they said, well, I mean, you make a good point. I said, here's what we do. You pray for it, about it for the next couple hours. And then whatever the Lord tells you, that's what I'm going to do. <clears throat> and I knew <clears throat> where their bend was. They were going to tell me not to do it. And, uh, and they came back and said, Pastor, I really hear from the Lord that you should wait on this and not do that. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it. There was bitterness trying to attach to me because of something that someone did against one of you. And I was ready, but they were from another ministry, and I was about to have their head. And um, <clears throat> I was going to go toe-to-toe with them and, and you know, because I love you and I'm going to protect our people. And, um, and, 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 they, and this person counseled me not to do it. Just let the Lord have it for right now. And I said, okay. They came back around. They said, that's what you should do. And I said, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to submit to that. Can I tell you? I got in my time of prayer and I was just sort of saying, Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord God, for wise counsel. And I'll listen to it. Within a matter of days... Had I done what I had planned to do, it would have created so much difficulty and hurt more people. I would have been embittered. But because I listened to them, and I'm sitting there in the place where I know I would have been bitter, and I just started thanking Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you, that, thank you for bringing me wise counsel around me. Thank you for sweet people who love you and who love me. Lord God, thank you for your protecting of your own sheep. You know, I think about this covetousness. I've got a friend who has one of the largest churches in the United States and you know what he said the other day? He said, you, you know, because you know, pastors, they get to coveting, you know, wishing they had a big mega church and all these beautiful buildings and facilities and millions of people and da 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 And we're all susceptible to that. And, um, and I'm just so grateful to have you. I, that anyone would come is a miracle to me. <laughs> that anyone would want to be a part of our lives and grow in God together is a miracle. And I've been very grateful from the very beginning of this church. But I had those moments where I can feel that covetousness trying to attach to me. And the other day, my, my friend who has his really big ministry. He made this statement. He goes, I am completely booked out two years in advance. He just threw it out there. Everything, everything I, I, I don't have an inch in any part of my schedule for the next two years. And I thought, Jesus, I don't want to live like that. I'm so thankful that, that you haven't asked me to be that. You One of the ways to get free from from covetousness to say, Lord, I thank you that you don't want me to do. You didn't entrust me with that. I'm so grateful that I got what I got because I can handle what I got right now. And I'm thankful for this right here. And I'm not going to let bitterness get in me because of what I don't have. I'm just thankful for what I do have and what you brought me through. Here's a third little piece that being grateful and thankful will do. And it'll protect you. Number three, number three from selfishness. Selfishness. Selfish. Listen, guys, go look in your closet. You got more clothes than you need. When you start being thankful for what you got, then what'll help, it'll help, help you begin to release some of it to help other people. And that selfishness, you, you, should, you know one of the things you should do? All, you, you got kids that have never played with half of those toys. You start, start teaching them to do like what I've watched some of the families in our church do. They'll load up those, those toys and they'll go give them to orphanages in Mexico. And they let their kids pick which toy and they never let them pick the ones that they don't like. They always, they, what was their favorite last year? Pick that one you don't play with anymore. Let's bless that kid. And they begin to work in them selflessness instead of selfishness.
It's a little step at a time. And here's the fourth thing. Write this down. Here's what it, it'll, you'll be protected from, and that is anxiety. Anxiety. There's been a, there was a study in 2011 published by the Applied Psychology Health and Well-Being. They spent just, they said, if you'll spend just 15 minutes a night jotting down a few sentiments of gratefulness before you go to bed, they have, they have proven that you'll sleep, you'll sleep better and longer and have less stress in your life. If you just took 15 minutes and said, Lord, I thank you before you go to bed. Lord, I thank you that you saved me. Lord, I thank you that today I could have been in that car accident and you supernaturally kept me from it. Lord, I thank you that, Lord God, though this was a tough week and it was really tough at work, that you kept me and I didn't quit and I didn't cause a, a, cause a stir in my own family. Lord, I thank you. And, they, and, and psychologists have proven it. If you'll do that 15 minutes, just take 15 minutes, write down, jot some things you're thankful for that day, that you will be transformed. You'll lack, you'll, you won't live in anxiety. You won't have all this sleepless nights, and you can't, you can't hardly go to bed because you take all that to bed. You know what I'm talking about? And as you pray through that and release that and thank God for what you do have, thank God for what he is doing and not so worried about what he's not doing or what you hadn't received yet, and all of it's in the waiting, in the time. It's happening in real time. And so as we close today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand with me quickly. Hey, everybody. Wasn't that a great message? I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it. Consider it. Pray and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So Let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we want to know. We want to know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469 606 2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place. Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.